Alrighty, hello everyone. Uh, I hope all of you have been enjoying today uh, as much as I have. I know I've been really looking forward to the summit and appreciate Maven and Celestia inviting us to speak today. Um, but my name is Joe, uh, I do investing over at Framework and very excited to be joined by this group today uh, as we kind of discuss our various perspectives on supporting the modular thesis through our work as investors in, in this space. So I think we'll kind of start just by kind of going around, uh, introduce yourself, uh, where you're from, uh, and then as well, maybe the first concept or idea uh, that introduced you to the, kind of the modular paradigm. Yeah, cool. Um, so I'm Matthijs. I'm a partner at Maven 11 and a part-time event planner these days. We're co-organizing this, so incredibly <laughs> happy you're all here. Um, I think I first ran into modularism or modular blockchain design uh, when I ran into the Lazy Ledger uh, paper written by Mustafa in 2019. Uh, I reached out to John Adler with some questions, and we then helped uh, yeah, bootstrap Lazy Ledger with their initial seed round. Hey everyone, I'm, uh, I'm Alex. I'm a partner with uh, Blockchain Capital. Um, I was first introduced to, uh, to the concept of, of the modular blockchain paradigm probably in 2019, just reading E3 search forums. So the, the first concept, I, I don't forget the specific project that I first read about, but was the optimistic roll-up. So it was either optimism or, or fuel or, or arbitrum. Hey, I'm Will. Uh, I work at Galaxy Digital and invest on behalf of the team there. Um, obviously paid attention to the optimistic roll-up stuff in 2019, but I think the moment where the shift to the modular sort of approach really clicked was watching in like October 2020 when Vitalik was posting about the sort of roll-up centric roadmap and Ethereum's shift from ETH 2.0 sharding to, a to, to sort of like a data shard centric approach was the moment that it clicked that these like different functions of a blockchain are going to be split up and then started reading Mustafa's papers at that point and um, Got, you know, started to work with the team around that time and then, uh, you know, proceeded with that, so. Cool. Uh, my name is Eli. Uh, I'm a partner um, on the Polychain investment team. Um, I think the, the first time that I started thinking about um, kind of the modular stack, um, I think it's hard to, for me to trace back exactly, but it, it really evolved from conversations just with brilliant people in the industry uh, one of them being James Presswich, uh, who I was kind of like trying to work with, I guess, when I was like a struggling or <laughs> mediocre developer, um, just on interoperabil uh, interoperability. Um, and so this evolved into this idea of, or, or this exploration of a trade-off space of, you know, really you have like composition, which is like, you know, how do you compose different functions within a, the same execution environment like how the EVM operates today. Um, and then you have interoperability, you know, and, and the various kind of permutations of that with IBC or XCMP in the Polkadot ecosystem. Um, and then, you know, we, we are also thinking about scaling. Um, and so this, this evolves from, you know, all of these ideas around sharding and how do you, how do you appropriately communicate between these shards? Like how do you make them interoperable? How do, you, um, how do you compose these functions? Because that's a really interesting you know, kind of thing to, to you know, discover with, with you know, flash loans or what have you. 
Um, and I kind of came to the conclusion that, like, you know, maybe the best way forward is not to, you know, put such an emphasis on on composability or, or like, kind of synch uh, synchronous composability, rather. Um, and so, you know, after evaluating this for a while, um, you know, you can you can kind of like parallelize it with shards, or you can um, kind of compress or commit data in a rollup. And just after exploring a lot of these ideas, um, I, I actually realized that what I had kind of discovered or rediscovered was a pitch that I had heard a year before um, with the Lazy Ledger white paper. Um, and so for those who are not aware, Lazy Ledger is the, you know, the academic name for or behind Celestia. Exactly. Um, so that, that's really what led me to, you know, Down kind the rabbit of hole, this, so to speak. this, yeah, this modular um, kind of way of thinking. Um, I love it. Let's, yeah. uh, I think one thing that I'm like really curious around to get some of your guys' perspective on is, you know, in a broad sense, like w what makes, you know, yourself or, or, or kind of the investment thesis that you hold, um, you know, why is it so bullish specifically on, on this modular stack versus monolithic constructs? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's of course about the various parts of the stack and that you can optimize for say data availability or execution, et cetera. But maybe deeper down, and especially with data availability sampling, it goes about giving users or end users and their light clients the ability to, to be first-class citizens, I think it's the words we use, um, of these crypto networks. So that I, with my mobile phone, have similar security guarantees, or almost similar, as a full mode. Um, whether that matters or not is maybe the bigger question, and I think we'll get into that later with Mustafa and Anatolia. But that's, I think that's why we're building Web 2.0. Um, to have end-user verification. Absolutely. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it comes back to like why we're here in the first place, which is we want to build, um, you know, we want to build open, incorruptible, censorship-resistant networks for the web. Um, in our view, we see, you know, the majority of the world's economic activity moving on to blockchain networks over some period of time that, you know, is probably over the next couple of decades. And in order for that to happen, I mean, you look at it, what the end state is, and that's millions of transactions per second. So what we have right now is definitely not going to get the job done. And like, what is the best proposal for how to get to that end state? And, um, and to do so safely. And by safely, um, you know, that, would, that would mean without breaking the guarantees that decentralized blockchain networks give you today. So um, censorship resistance and security, uh, primarily. And the best proposal that I've seen for that is to scale via rollups and to scale via a modular um, blockchain stack where uh, instead of introducing a, uh, an honest majority assumption every time you scale horizontally, you can scale vertically and um, via some combination of fraud proofs, validity proofs, and data availability, data availability proofs, um, you can introduce only an honest minority assumption and you can significantly increase the throughput and the express expressivity um, of, of new um, execution environments that oh, all share some decentralized foundation. So, I mean, that to me makes the, the modular blockchain stack um, the, the only viable approach right now to an end state where the world's economic activity is happening on blockchain networks. Be achieved there. What about yourself, Will? I mean, it's always, I think, 
for us comes back to scaling. We just simply haven't seen, like rollups can work, but you know, we're not operating at scale yet today, right? And so you know, the kind of scale that can onboard you know, a, a global and you know, full user base you know, across, across the world. So when you see, I think why we're bullish and we believe in the modular thesis is because you know, when you split out these layers, data availability from execution, from settlement, um, you, you can optimize the three separately, right? And you can let them, when they're bundled together, you fundamentally can't you know, you know, perform the optimizations um, that each one is able, you know, capable of being on their own, right? So when you, it gives, splitting out data availability in particular gives you the ability to go from, you know, basically data avail availability proof and, you know, in O of N, right, complexity to, to O of, you know, square root of N, right? And that's a phase shift in in the ability to scale blockchains, right? And we're looking, I think, you know, in some at at times, particularly investing in technology, it's like you're looking for phase shifts as an investor, and like going from O of n to O of square root of n is a phase shift. And so, I think we think this kind of stuff will continue to emerge as this, you know, sort of thesis is played out, and and, uh, and technologists continue to develop along these lines. Anything to add there, Eli? Uh, I think I covered a lot of this in kind of my earlier point, kind of jumped the gun. But um, I think the only thing that I would kind of add was that, you know, if you look at the history of computation, you kind of like, you know, maybe you started with like a, something more primitive, like uh, Abacus, and then you kind of worked your way, way up through like application machines. Like, you know, there were these um, kind of uh, machines or kind of like contraptions that you know, could, uh, could solve a Fourier series or something, right? But they were very application-specific. They were very bulky. And then we worked our way up to mainframes or, or what have you, and then worked our way all the way down to, you know, kind of modular, mo modularizing it, right, with, you know, CPUs, GPUs, whatever is kind of in your desktop or laptop. And I think that, you know, we're seeing a similar evolution in the blockchain space. Um, but I do think that there's, like, you know, there's a little bit of ambiguity about, like, you know, what modularity actually means, right? I think that so far we've seen modularity in the Cosmos SDK or the, the substrate um, uh, design for, for, for Polkadot. But I think that, you know, Celestia is really, really interesting to me because, um, you know, you can have all of these modules, you can build custom execution environments, but you still uh, inherit the security of the underlying chain through rollups or whatever. And I think this extends to other kind of, you know, um, other categories of investing, whether that's, you know, bridges or, or what have you. It's like really important to, you know, further modularize some of these concepts, but also still inherit some of those, um, you know, security principles. Elements of the kind of the, the yeah. security foundation, I got you. What do you all think is kind of like, or, or are some of the larger distinctions when it comes to, uh, you know, investing in uh, a modular thesis versus a monolithic one? And maybe we could start with yourself, Eli, on this one. Sure. So I think, um, I mean, uh, we've been pretty bullish on, you know, uh, kind of this modular paradigm for quite some time. Um, but I think when, when thinking about kind of monolithic versus uh, versus modular architectures. You know, if you abstract modules in Celestia or just like rollups on Ethereum um, or, or what have you, 
really, you just kind of end up with like a bunch of different chains if you abstract it away enough. Um, and I think that you know, like our name is Polychain, right? Like we we have like a bunch of application-specific chains in our portfolio, um, and you know, whether you're exploring that because uh, you want to implement some kind of new execution environment, or um, maybe you want to uh, incorporate, you know, cheaper fees for some kind of privacy-based feature, or, or whatever it may be, um, you know, we don't live in a monolithic world. It doesn't really make sense to, even from a portfolio construction perspective, to invest in one monolithic chain if you believe, like, in that kind of thesis, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still really like Solana and everything. Uh, I really like Ethereum. Um, uh, and I, I don't think that they're going anywhere. Um, but I kind of view them almost as their own modules. Interesting. Will, what about yourself? What do you think makes kind of the largest distinctions between investing in these two separate theses? Yeah, it's, it's actually, I think, maybe more challenging in theory, I think, to invest in modular. Not like it's hard to decide to, that that should be your thesis, but, but thinking through like what parts of that stack are, um, going, you know, are going to be valuable is actually, I think, harder to do as an investor, frankly. I think when you have you know, that, like a sort of monolithic L1, whether it's Ethereum or something else, right? fundamentally, the, re the you know, tokens on the L1 are being used to pay for, you know, secure, you know, sorry, you know, uh, compute bandwidth, like memory and solid state storage. Fundamentally, they're provisioning those resources on the network. And, but that's okay because it's, those things are all bundled together and, you know, obviously you're paying for it in, at the opcode level. But in, like, at the end of the day, like, you know, when you're submitting a transaction, you're paying for all in, all in one bundle. One lever. Fund fundamentally. And so it's like, and that creates a surplus, you know, that, you know, a transaction fee that you know, produces a surplus above and beyond what the miner takes in. That's kind of the EIP 1559 model. I think this is more challenging, right? Because now you have different layers where there's different, fundamentally different resources being sort of like provisioned at the end of the day. And understanding which of those resources, like uh, whether that's compute or bandwidth or, or solid state storage or memory, like, Understanding who, what people are willing to pay for each of those, and then who exactly is going to pay f for each one, I think is pretty non-obvious to me at, at the moment. Maybe these guys have answers, but um, that I th it makes it more challenging, frankly, to like really evaluate um, these pro. I think these mo like modular projects as an investor. Alex, I know we've talked a lot about this. Kind of what are your thoughts maybe on some of what Will was speaking on or just kind of the distinctions between these yeah, two? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it comes down to end user and developer choice and iteration speed um, specifically. So um, when, when you build a monolithic blockchain, you are, um, you know, you're marrying obviously consensus, settlement, data availability, execution, and um, that constrains the directions that you can move in. It's much more difficult to upgrade a system where all of those pieces are coupled together, whereas in a modular blockchain, you can deploy a new rollup when you want to experiment with a new execution environment. And so over time, like, like I, you know, what I'd love to see is like I, a wallet where I can have a, almost like a slider for like, what's the level of security you need? What is the level of privacy you need? What, you know, what, what is the, um, the speed of, of, of transactions that you need? Um, for, for whatever your application is, or even just as an end user doing payments. And 
you know, I think if, we're, if we have wallets switching between a bunch of monolithic blockchains that are specialized for each of those things, that introduces a massive security hole in bridging assets between them. And so when you have rollups, you have these like natively trust minimized bridges that are baked in and you can achieve you know, very like highly customizable um, security, highly customizable privacy, et cetera, um, for, for applications without compromising on security. So I, I think that approach is more sound long-term. Almost giving developers kind of an additional choice by kind of modularizing that. Yeah, exactly. Right I mean, at the end of the day, like this is, these are open networks, it's open source software. And so like the more experiments we run, the more iterations we produce, the better the results are going to be and the faster we're going to move as a space. And so I think one of those approaches lends itself uh, much more effectively to experimentation, to iteration. And um, I think that it's very likely that that'll produce more interesting applications and developer experiences long term. Anything to add on that one? Uh, no, I agree with almost everything that has been said. Um, <laughs> but two maybe more general points. Will said earlier, right, these uh, rollups aren't live fully yet. So I think there's still a lot of ongoing research. And when looking to back founders, I think you have to accept that there can be quite radical pivots based on the latest research. So you need to look for people that are willing to do that, that aren't like set in stone and I'm going to build just this. And when a new insight comes, they ignore it. Um, in addition, and I think this is something we already see with the rise of bridges between monolithic chains, mm -hmm. I expect these communities of the various parts of the stack to get increasingly intertwined. So we see that with Avalanche and Terra now, right? Their communities are sort of splitting, uh, combining through bridges. I think in the modular stack that's going to happen so much more. Yeah, and it is an interesting thing to think about when you, you know, not only are you modularizing the technical components of yes. these, but also the underlying social consensus of each of these layers. And it does lead to kind of some of these interesting uh, kind of ideas to think about on a much longer term basis as well as people are kind of choosing where to, where to go and which layers to use under them. Um, do you all think there's maybe a particular layer within the modular stack that you believe is maybe like underappreciated, underdiscussed, or maybe mm -hmm. even potentially undervalued? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think right now we mostly focus on execution environments that are EVM-focused. Uh, I think different types of execution environments, virtual machines, I know Fuel was on here earlier, they're doing something with that, um, are vastly undervalued because it brings in a whole new wave of developers. Um, and I think that's something that excites me a lot about modularity. Uh, yeah. Sorry, front-running you, I know you agree. No. I, think we're all, <laughs> I think we're all gonna agree on this point, actually. Yeah, I mean, maybe just to like expand on, on the intuition there, like. The, I guess the, the most dominant um, development standard today is based around the EVM, which I don't think that a lot of folks would disagree is, is suboptimal in a number of ways, like the way that it prices storage, the way that it handles memory. Uh, the, these things like create limitations in the types of applications that you can build and the level of scalability that you get, and the, like the amount, um, you know, how efficiently you use node resources at the end of the day. And so like allowing um, the space via modular execution environments to break away from the, the EVM and run experiments on like, can we optimize a VM for a specific application? Like to me, that is, that is like, like we've more or less saturated probably development efforts on around the EVM and that's important. We should continue to, you know, to improve it and make it better and make EVM um, proliferate more. But like alternative VMs are very important and have a large place in, in the world. And so those experiments I think are, are very welcomed. 
Yeah, we're, I, we're all going to be on the same page on, on this one. I mean, ironically, it's like data availability sampling and data availability that like unlocked all of this, yep. right? So in some ways, that's the most, you know, like that should be what we're most excited about. But at the end of the day, like the real exciting part of the modular stack fundamentally is that um, I, I, you know, I, I think the design space for the execution layer has been blown wide open by splitting out execution optimizing the data availability and consensus layer. I think like, we haven't even started to explore the design space. And what's cool about it is it, you can iterate a lot faster. I mean, obviously, Cosmos and Cosmos SDK and other projects have provided like, some outlet for this in the past. But still, I mean, there's a there is a lot involved in scaling a validator set uh, you know, and in some of the work you have to do to, to spin up a, you know, sort of like a Cosmos zone. So I, I'm not there. Get credit to where credit's due to people who have, you know, gone down this road in the past. I just think the pace of, you know, developing new rule sets for execution environments or execution layer is going to be um, way faster on, on top of Celestia and in, in this sort of roll-up, you know, modular, mo you know, modular, you know, sort of approach. Things that, like, I mean, we could talk. There's a number of parameters we could sort of imagine tweaking, you know. But you can. There's there's just so much you can do. Whether that's increasing block intervals, trying something with longer block intervals where it allows you to do longer sort of like compute, right? So that you can do like write longer programs. If, if compute is really cheap and you can write longer programs, you know, people might try doing something like that. You might try, you know, I've, I was I, you know, parallelization of transactions. Uh, was mentioned before. Like, the, there's so many parameters you can, you know, sort of modify, and it's just a multivariate sort of like design space. And I'm excited to watch people explore this over the next couple of years because I think that's where a lot of the exciting stuff around the modular um, stack will happen. Yeah, I, I think that there's like just this kind of elegance uh, around the like minimal design of Celestia specifically, um, and when thinking about, you know how the execution environments on Celestia or any other chain will evolve does get really interesting. Naturally, the, the first step is to have this kind of EVM environment, maybe slightly modify it. Maybe it's a canary network or, or something uh, like that. Um, but I think that the next step gets even more interesting, where you can take a Cosmos SDK app and maybe decouple some of the staking economics from the, the core business logic, right? You no longer, or, or maybe you don't have to subsidize uh, valid, the, the validator set as much, right? Or, or you know, you can defer some of those costs, or, or just cut costs in general. I think the the the, the step after that uh, gets even more interesting, where you know you can kind of have this IDE where you, what you're really doing is deploying separate rollups of sorts, um, you know, and you're no longer competing to include a transaction in you know this uh, this this order book lo uh, this uh, order matching logic uh, or and, you know and and that's separate from uh, voting logic in a, in a governance module or something right so you have like a met matching engine module and then you have a, a, a governance module or something right and these things can seamlessly uh, uh, communicate between one another um, using Celestia, um, or, or you know, uh, you know, even Ethereum can do this on a long enough time yeah, horizon. I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, I, th I think like one of the ideas that makes me think a lot about is just like you know, I think we, we've covered a lot of you know what this stack or what about this stack mm -hmm. excites us. I'd love to hear some more about like you know what are the implications of that on applications on end users. 
Um, I think there's an aspect of security yeah. that could get discussed here, but also just the new design space that this opens for applications would be awesome to hear your thoughts on. Yeah, so, um, so I think that um, you know, even taking a step back from just thinking of Celestria as the modular stack, I think that other applications um, have been really interesting to see uh, to, to see evolve. So you know, there are these different kind of layers that we've seen as more chains just come into existence. Um, you know, you don't have to. You no longer um, you know are just loyal to this like L1 ETH, right? Um, and you know, using a lot of layer twos uh, feels very similar to layer ones that have deployed EVM compatible environments. And so we're seeing, you know, um, new kind of like liquidity layers like um, Connects that can act as like a clearinghouse between all of these different uh, environments. And I think that, um, you know, when you have this clearinghouse, you don't really have to worry about, um, you know, certain security concerns because, you know, it's modularized, modularized in a way where it inherits the security of, you know, the, the local instances where it's deployed. It. Or you have something like Nomad that can be used for uh, passing messages between these different modules or environments. Um, and then, you know, at the application layer, you know, you know outside of just, um, uh, outside of just, you know, kind of communicating or, or transferring tokens between uh, all of these environments, you have, like, core applications, right? It's like yep. something like DYDX. Um, you know, they're, they're deployed on StarkNet, and... Um, and I think, like, the majority of the reason they can even function is, like, solely because of kind of the scalability increases that yeah, they get from your exactly, StarkNet implementation. Right? Will, what do, you, what do you think about, like, or what excites you kind of about the application space when it comes to... Yeah, I think, you know, we've made a lot of points... Uh, and gone, there's just a lot, I think, that's a, that generally excites this group. One thing that I want to flag as well, while we have, it's like the, some of the work Cello has historically done on Plumo, which is the sort of light client that's optimized for mobile. I think there's some elements, um, you know, Celestia's you know, data availability is very different, but data, like the modular paradigm and, and data availability, like a sort of like a, like, let's call them like an eager blockchain versus a lazy blockchain. Like lazy blockchains are, like fundamentally pretty good at, uh, for like fundamentally better for sort of mobile users. And like if mobile users want to be self-sovereign because light clients have s stronger, you know, sort of censorship resistance guarantees. Yep. Um, so I'm excited to see if we can, sort of, you, you know, use the data availability paradigm and the modular paradigm to approach, you know, new applications for mobile first users. That's I, I, a little bit further down the road and that's a little more speculative, but I think that's always should be a goal of the crypto and blockchain community is like how do we build things for different sort of like com sort of computing platforms like mobile and um, so I know I know that's a bit of a digression from some of the stuff Eli was just talking about but I wanted to flag it as something I find exciting yeah and no. we'll see if that can you know that can sort of like emerge I'm definitely aligned with you there like I think there is an end goal for web 3 where you know we need to to have or at least provide the, the optionality for end users to be you know verifying on and then making that easy on, on yeah, an end user the, device like a mobile phone otherwise like inevitably somebody will build it you know will build an application for a mobile phone and you won't have the option to do to have like a you know, sort of self-sovereignty via a really you know censorship resistant light client um, so you know, that, for me, that's that's pretty cool. 
Awesome. I know we only have a few minutes left, but I'll let you guys hit on this one. Anything particularly um, interesting that you guys are kind of foreseeing when it comes to the application layer? Uh, sure. Um, so uh, my, a, a colleague of mine, uh, Ryan, likens it to, uh, you know, I guess like the, the shift here to a breakthrough in hardware. So it's really hard to say, like, what does this new paradigm enable? Um, but I think we have some instincts on what it might enable. So for, as, as an example, fuel uh, processes transactions in, in parallel so they can run at a significantly higher speed um, than, than a monolithic blockchain. So that enables things like micropayments, which aren't practical um, or economical on, on blockchains today. Um, they also have a significant memory expansion um, at, at the node level. And so that allows things that are memory intensive, like an on-chain order book DEX, for instance, which is not something that you can really practically run on, on Ethereum today. So, without, um, yeah, without any sort of trade-off, <laughs> yeah. Tyus, what about yourself to follow this up? Yeah, I think the order books have been mentioned a few times, right? Uh, totally agree there. Also, on the application layer, I think we will just see more radical innovation because it's easy to just deploy an application-specific chain and try something out. Um, another, but this is maybe more infrastructure, if you will, um, is bridges that share, uh, share state between optimistic rollups. It's an area I'm very interested in. I haven't really seen it yet, so if someone's building it, do reach out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, apart from that, agree with what they all said. Awesome, guys. Well, I think we are at time, but really appreciate you all joining us. And thanks, everyone, for coming out to the summit. I uh, hope you all have enjoyed.